putting out a flaming Christmas tree, ice cream for Christmas, and the seven fishes. This week, it's all about Christmas. Traveling the world to bring you delicious dishes, tasty beverages, and interesting experiences. This is the Destination Eat Drink Podcast on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. I'm Brent Peterson. Welcome to Destination Eat Drink, the travel podcast for foodies. This is the place where food and travel come together at DestinationEatDrink.com, on the Destination Eat Drink YouTube channel, and here on the Destination Eat Drink podcast. This week, we're celebrating Christmas in the only way we can at Destination Eat Drink with lots and lots of food. But first, if you like the podcast, I've got a lot more food and travel at DestinationEatDrink.com. I just posted a new video about Christmas cakes and pastries here in Portugal. You can see that by clicking on the video tab at DestinationEatDrink.com or go to YouTube at DestinationEatDrink946. I also just posted a story about a great non-Christmas pastry in Portugal called Bolo de Aroge. Read about that at DestinationEatDrink.com slash blog. Okay, we've got watermelon and feta ice cream, Swiss fondue, Christmas bonfires, and crashing house parties, and I'm starving, so let's eat. Destination Eat Drink. Nicknamed the other half of Rick's brain, Cameron Hewitt is a guidebook writer for Rick Steves Europe. He tells me about Christmas in Switzerland in this never-before-heard interview on Destination Eat Drink. This is my now my third Christmas that we've got to spend in Europe. It's been really a very exciting time. It's, uh, it's fun to witness all the different traditions. We had someone right in front of our apartment roasting chestnuts for the kids in the school across the way here. Um, so it's been a really different experience for us enjoying Christmas in Europe. Um, have you had any time to spend during Christmas in Europe? I know you spend a lot of time in the summer and in the fall, but what about Christmas in Europe? Absolutely. Yeah. I'm not usually in Europe in the winter, but one year, it's probably about 15 years ago, um, my my wife and I joined my parents and my sister uh, in Switzerland. And actually my parents had, um, when they were first married, my dad studied there in graduate school in Basel, Switzerland. And so they have all these fond memories. When we were kids growing up, we always heard all their fond memories of a Swiss Christmas. And our family tradition actually is doing a, a fondue on Christmas Eve. Every Christmas Eve, we do a traditional Swiss fondue. Oh, wow. And so for all these years, you know, growing up and and since we've been adults, even my parents just are always reminiscing about these wonderful Christmases they had in Switzerland. So a few years ago, they said, hey, let's make this happen. So we rented a place uh, just outside of Interlaken in the Berner Oberland and st stayed a week over Christmas. And I mean, it was just an absolutely magical experience. Everything we wanted to experience, you know, it's one of these things where you you think uh, we want to go and set ourselves up to have like these kind of nostalgic experiences, but you never know if it'll work. And like everything just fell perfectly into place. It just felt like we were kind of, you know, kind of charmed on that trip, uh, including my parents always talked about when they were young and, and first married. They went to Christmas Eve services in Switzerland where they had live candles that were pinned to the Christmas tree in the church. Oh, wow. So at the beginning of the service, they would come and they would light the candles on the tree. 
And they always talked about there was a guy with a, a big wet sponge. And so if one of the branches <laughs> caught on fire during the service, he'd, he'd swing this wet sponge on a stick and slap it out. And, you know, they they said, well, it'd be fun if we got to do that, something like that. They said, but that's I'm sure that won't happen. They were like that. That was that was, you know, 40, 50 years ago at that point. And um, we went to this little village church just up the street from where we were staying and walked to the door that night, Christmas Eve for a service. And sure enough, there was a Christmas tree with candles pinned to it. And as the service started, they came on and they lit all the candles. And it was just such a magical experience, something you, you certainly wouldn't have experienced back home. Was there a guy with the sponge? Yeah, I think they, they've perfected it. I didn't see a guy. I'm sure somebody had the something in the back. But uh, the, fortunately, I think it, it, they've gotten a little bit better at it. So they didn't need to they didn't need to put out any fires. Sounds just like a. Uh, absolute fantasy of a winter wonderland to Switzerland. I mean, obviously, we don't have any snow here in Portugal, so it's a it's a little bit of a different experience. But it sounds like that experience would be ideal. I think I would really enjoy that. Well, and you mentioned the chestnuts. That's all over Europe, and it's funny we have the the Christmas Carol about chestnuts roasting over an open fire. But when you're in Europe, starting in the fall, even I just came home from Slovenia, uh, middle of October, and even in October, there were a couple of guys out with big kettles. Roasting chestnuts, and that's a smell I really associate with Europe in the wintertime, especially the holidays. Yeah, and it's like I've lived 99% of my life in the United States, and I don't remember ever having or seeing chestnuts ever. I mean, I think maybe like in a, in a supermarket, maybe canned chestnuts of some kind, but I don't remember ever seeing chestnuts getting roasted. And then you come here and it's, you know, from October through January is what it's been, February even. There's a guy out on the square every day, him and his wife roasting chestnuts, couple bucks for a nice little cone of hot roasted chestnuts. It's fantastic. Justin Steele is the founder of Local Sauce Tours in Sydney, Australia. We talk about Christmas during the middle of summer and the best ice cream in the city. While we're freezing up here in the north, you guys are enjoying ice cream season. (laughs) And you guys at Local Sauce have an ice cream and street art tour. Tell me about some of the ice cream that you enjoy there. Any unusual flavors? This is something I'm always fascinated with. Yeah, so, um, you know, on that tour, we go to a couple of different ice cream places as well as, you know, either that Black Star Pastry bakery that I mentioned for for a slice of the strawberry watermelon cake. Yes, of the yes. two ice cream places that we visit, one is your kind of classic Italian gelato uh, store. And so they love, they do all their ice creams from scratch. You know, they don't have a base that they add flavors to. Each flavor is done individually. And they are always, you know, experimenting with whatever fruits are in season. So, you know, that can be there, – there'll be a few different flavors there every time I go there. Um we always love a you know, a, um, a sea salt kind of salted caramel flavor. Um, there's a lot of uh, ice cream places that would do that. Uh, Gelato Messina is probably one of the biggest ones in in Sydney, and they now have outposts in uh, Melbourne and Brisbane and, and elsewhere as well. When I first moved to Sydney, I saw a huge queue outside this small store, and I thought it must have been like a new bar or a club or something, but that was actually a Gelato Messina store. Um, <laughs> so it's very popular. Um, but then um, one of the other places that we visit on the Newtown tour is a Turkish ice cream place, and they do this really nice melon and feta flavor. Oh, And the feta is just these small grains mixed into the, the melon ice cream, and uh, it's 
it just i don't know how it works but it works and people tend gen to that kind of like look at me a little bit um reluctantly when i recommend it as a flavor but they they never regret choosing it you know it makes sense because feta and melon go together so well it it has to work well in an ice cream i think you know yeah. that I was a uh, gelato maker for several years, and the, I would always be, I would say I'm putting on my uh, mad scientist hat, uh, trying to come up with new flavors, and I would always think, like, what are flavors that go well together, and then just try it. Mm. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But, you know, you talk about the cheeses, I, I made a ricotta cheese and honey um uh, gelato that I really liked, also yeah. a mascarpone and fig that was really, really good. You just need to know those combos, don't you? Like your ricotta and honey is always going to be a good combo as well. Yeah, but you wouldn't necessarily, it wouldn't come to your to your mind immediately when you no. think of gelato or you think of ice cream, but it, it was a great flavor. I loved it. And um, I'm glad to hear that caramel sea salt is still going uh, strong. <laughs> that was always yeah. my number one seller was caramel sea salt. And every time I tried to take it off the menu, people would be, where's the caramel sea salt? Yeah, <laughs> so, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we're talking about having ice cream and in the middle of winter and that kind of brings up the subject of Christmas because when we think of Christmas in the Northern Hemisphere, you know, it's heavy coats and fires and roasting chestnuts and mm. hot uh, hot apple cider and mulled wine and things like that. But I have to imagine the traditions in Sydney are 180 degrees <laughs> different than that. Uh, what is it like having warm weather Christmas? I guess we're just used to it. Um, you know, for me, that's, that's normal. Um, been doing it for many, many years now. Um, but uh, we still try and incorporate some of those northern hemisphere traditions so um you know there's always going to be a bit of like a hot roast or something going on um my mum might do a uh a tadakan um i don't know if you guys do that the, the turkey duck and chicken yeah yeah um, mm -hmm. so she likes to do that one um but then we'll also combine that with some fresh australian seafood so prawns are really popular uh, for a christmas day lunch here um, prawns and some nice uh, fresh salads. Um, you know, you've got so much produce available around that time of year. Um, and um, you might do th something like an ice cream cake, um, which hmm. uh, that, or maybe you'll go with the traditional kind of Christmas pudding. Um, so it, it's a mix, even though we are very much, you know, that's the peak of summer here. Um, we're still trying to pretend that we're somewhere in the middle um, of being um, part of Europe. I love the idea of an ice cream cake for Christmas uh, dessert. That sounds marvelous. Yeah, yeah, it's one of my favorites. Um, I will have to remind my mum to um, put that one on the menu again this year. Tony Mazaglia is the founder of food tour company Taste Florence. She tells me about typical Tuscan Christmas dishes. So when you first move here as um, someone that comes from a culture that does cozy Christmas, you're expecting, you know, you're like, I'm in Italy, it's going to be super cozy and amazing. Christmas is amazing, but it's, it's a different kind of amazing. And it's really, it's all about the food, <laughs> of course. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> um, so the decorations, yeah, the decorations have gotten better. I mean, every year they tend to go deck things out a little more, but, um, but I, I do find like Northern Italy is going to be more of what, when you're looking for uh, that super cozy, you know, feeling that Christmas with the, the Christmas trees and the, just the whole, the whole package um, here, it's more like a, a almost a austere uh, kind of just elegant, 
uh, minimal, but present, but not, um, they don't go overboard with the Christmas decorations here. So they're not putting like a, uh, they're not putting like a Santa Claus hat on the uh, statue of David. Exactly. Not yet. I'm sure eventually it's, it's going to happen. But um, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I do have to say last year in Via Torna Buoni, which is kind of, you know, I like to call it the Rodeo Drive of Florence. Um, it's it's gorgeous. It's a historic area. And it's the, the road that you have all the, the designer shops. So um, and it's one of the few roads that's you know, the, the, the stones are immaculate. You can walk without breaking your heel or stepping in anything. And there's very little traffic and it's just a beautiful street. And that's the street that they tend to deck out the most in the last few years. So last year it was really beautiful. Um, and then I noticed that I was really proud because I, they had these, like a big Christmas present that you could kind of walk into and get your little selfie. And hmm. they had all these different big things. And then when I was in other places, I realized they were doing it in the other cities too. <laughs> it's like, Oh no, this is like somebody sold this to all the cities, you know? <laughs> and you got sucked in. Yeah. And I got sucked in. But if you're in smaller towns, like I have not been to, for example, I haven't spent time in Sicily for the holidays. Um, but I've heard that these, these smaller, more traditional, areas of, of Italy, um, especially further in the South, they have, you know, um, nativity, li live nativity scenes. Right. And you'll even find that in parts of Tuscany. But the further South you go, the more religious Christmas is, you know, I mean, you, you feel the roots of it more and you get the, the nativity scenes and things like that. The further North you go, the more kind of elegant. And then when you go really North and you're kind of, you know, up in the Dolomites, that's where you get the cozy. The food, I've been lucky enough, you know, I've been here permanently for 18 years. I've, you know, I had to pass the time. So I've dated several of the locals <laughs> and, working, and your the way through the population. That, <laughs> working my way through, <laughs> um, and, I mean, mostly, mostly Florentines and other Tuscans. So, um, in, in Florence, I've noticed there's, um, tortellini and brodo, which I really like, which is even more traditional when you go up into Emilia Romagna, but it's just tortellini served in broth. And then you have all the different meats as your main course and um, all the fun sauces like mostarda and salsa verde and whatever sauces the family likes. Um, but that's not widespread. It really changes from family to family. Um, I remember like, one of the first guys I dated in Italy, his family did spiadini. Um, so spiadini, I guess in English is what you would, is it a kebab? It's on the stick. It's oh, okay. meat on a yes, stick. Yes, yes, yes. But it's not kebab like you get from the guy that he shaves the meat. Um, so <laughs> sometimes I can't remember how to say things in, in English, but uh, it, I think it we goes call on it a grill. It's on a grill, right? Yes, or, or they roast it. Okay. And when they roast it on a girarosto, so like the turning. Uh, oh, okay. Oh, uh, yeah. Over like, because a lot of the houses will have a, a fireplace in the, in the living room or the kitchen, and you just cook right in there. Like, we're not going outside to grill. We're just going to grill right here. And the first time I saw that, that blew my mind. And I just absolutely love it. Um, so I remember there was, there would be like a piece of sausage and then a piece of bread. And then there would be a bay leaf. And then there'd be another piece of meat and some more bread. And the bread, when you put it on the girarosto, the, the, I guess you like roasting it on the spit, right? It's turning over the fire and it's cooking slowly. And so all the yummy fat that's coming out of the meat is getting soaked into the bread. Okay. And so by the time you eat it, the bread is like super oily and super crunchy and super flavorful. So that's, I remember one family was really into that. Um, I also lived in Pisa for a, a couple of years and 
his relatives did the sette pesci, so the seven types of fish. And that, to, to this day, is my favorite. Like, well, either a sette pesci or tortellini in brodo. Those are my two favorites for Christmas. So either the big seafood dinner or the tortellini and broth and then all the meats with all the, you know, the boiled meat and the roasted meat and all the different sauces, the different kind of chutneys, the mustardi. Um, and I'm just talking about two regions or two towns or two little fractions of regions. So like imagine the infinite possibilities of what you could eat in this country for Christmas that I haven't even tried yet. <laughs> just, you need like several lifetimes. What about, uh, what about cookies or cakes or stuff like that? Anything special that we can just get around Christmas time? Good point. Yeah, we have, um, so the traditional Christmas cakes, um, you have panettone, which is from Northern Italy. Mm-hmm. And you have pandoro. So pandoro is from Verona and panettone is from Milan. And uh, panettone is, it's almost like a giant tube of brioche. <laughs> it's like describe the, the consistency. It's kind of like a little sweet and it has candy fruit in it. And it has, sometimes it has chocolate chips, but usually it doesn't. And then it um, will have um, those big hunks of white sugar on top. And uh, a lot of time it'll have almonds on top. It depends because it, it changes, but that's more or less the traditional one. And you can find those in the States now. I've seen them um, at gourmet shops and yes. even like TJ Maxx and Home Goods and stuff like that. And then Pandoro, it's almost the same impasto, like the same dough. It's very similar. It's very understated because Pandoro doesn't have all the stuff. It's just the cake and it's shaped like a like a star but like a star standing up <laughs> that makes any sense so it's just like when you slice it you can cut off like one little wing of the star you know okay one little point gotcha and both uh the pandoro the tradition is um when you buy these they're in a bag to keep them fresh and in a box and um the pandoro comes usually comes with a little powdered sugar and right before you serve it you shake the pandoro on the bag with the powdered sugar to coat it on the outside and it's really good when you eat it like that, but then it's even better like the next day when the powdered sugar is kind of soaked in mm. and then you toast it and you throw some Nutella on there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a lot of ways to get in trouble at Christmas. Um, and then, I mean, throughout the country, there's a lot of, um, you know, regional and, and just even certain towns will have their, their biscotto, their certain type of cake or cookie they make. But those two are the, the big the usual suspects for Christmas. And they've kind of turned into the national, the two national Christmas cakes. I love the panettone. My favorite way to have it is mm-hmm. cut a slice and put it on the griddle. Mm-hmm. So it gets just yeah. a little bit toasty. Yeah. Um, it, yeah. That's a big thing with uh, American, Italian American, uh, mm-hmm. Italians. I don't know if it's as big a thing in Italy. I can't imagine that it's not, but that's my favorite way. Absolutely, because what happens is everyone um, around the holidays, you get, um, you have a lot of office parties and you have your friends over and buy, you know how in the States you get stuck with at least one fruitcake. Well, here you end up with a collection of panettone and pandoro and then whatever else people are giving you, um, you know, gift baskets with different sauces and oil. And I mean, it's fantastic, but, um, but you always end up with a surplus of panettone and or pandoro and you either get creative and do things like toasting it or turning it into um, other desserts, like a English, uh, you know, pudding where you actually like turn it, put it into a custard and put it in the oven. I mean, there's all kinds of things you can do with it. Right. But usually you end up, you know, toasting it, having it for breakfast, and then kind of regifting at least three or four of them. <laughs> so, so it's like <laughs> an like American fruitcake. fruitcake in that you're regifting this thing, but 
it's not like an American fruitcake in that it actually tastes good. <laughs> <laughs> it tastes great. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I don't, I don't want to give it a bad, <laughs> bad reputation by, by saying fruitcake in the same conversation, yeah, but it's, um, not. <laughs> it, it's the same conundrum you find yourself in. Yeah. It's way tastier, but you do have so many and it's, it's not exactly low calorie. So you don't want to, you know, if you live by yourself, you don't want to get stuck with 10 and eat all of them. <laughs> eat the whole thing one night <laughs> while watching Netflix. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. Michelle Michon from Bone Mamont Tours in New Orleans talks about the traditional Revelon meal in this brand new interview. You're in town in New Orleans around Christmas. There's something called Revelon, which traditionally was the meal that you were eating between Mass and Christmas morning. So you would eat it after church at midnight. Um, on Christmas Eve, but now, because not everybody does that, you just have a couple of restaurants in town that offer Revion meals. They're prefix meals that they are prefi, um, that they serve like the week or so leading up to Christmas. So if you're lucky enough to be around with a Revion menu, text definitely just there, look up which menu really appeals to you or is convenient to get to, and definitely try a Revion menu at one of these restaurants because in, unforgettable sort of traditional part of New Orleans uh, Christmas that most people don't experience outside of New Orleans in France. Is there is there certain dishes that are on a Revion menu? I'm not familiar with it. Um, yeah, there. I mean, let's see. I mean, I think grits and griots, such as veal served with grits, um, makes it on a lot of Revion menus. Shrimp and shrimp and grits. Uh, fish are local Gulf fish. If you're looking for Gulf fish in New Orleans, you're not going to eat necessarily tuna or cod or anything like that. Gulf fish in New Orleans is pompano, drum, redfish. Um, there's another one I'm forgetting. But, uh, you know, it, there's a lot of fish on the menu. Um, and then there's usually like a beef bourguignon or something like that. So there's not really – so the chefs get really – it's basically an opportunity for chefs, um, head chefs at their restaurant to create a pre menu that they're excited about. So you're going to see probably a lot of citrus hiding in things like maybe you'll see like kumquat and duck, on some, you know, kumquat jam on duck, things like that. So um, it's an opportunity for these head chefs to really show off their menus. So that's why it's such a good opportunity to eat. But it is as varied as every restaurant can possibly be. There is no like standard Revillon, um menu item that everybody serves. Uh, but, you know, it's a lot of New Orleans favorites and a lot of classic favorites that aren't on New Orleans menus anymore. So you'll find stuff that um, maybe hasn't been in vogue for several years, but it's a classic Creole dish. So very exciting. That sounds good. I, I always like, I'm always interested in what different Christmas traditions are. I, I grew up in the Midwest, so, you know, things were very, yeah. um, all right, this is how you do it, you know? And then, yeah. Then, yeah. You, then you visit other places and you're like, oh, there's a whole different world out there. Um, do you have any New Orleans traditions that you're particularly fond of? Uh, come Christmas time. Um, I mean, the Revillon, the there's something called uh, Celebration in the Oaks where they have the Christmas lights. There's a display in the city park Celebration in the Oaks of Christmas lights that's like a Cajun Christmas, um, which is really it's a retelling of the night before Christmas in Cajun uh, sort of stereotypes, <laughs> but it's really funny. It's really cute. But my favorite, my absolute favorite, is um, the bonfires on the levee, which are um, supposed to light the way for Papa Noel. They take place on, uh, on Christmas Eve. Yeah, Christmas Eve, they um, all along the one side of the river, uh, Mississippi River, between uh, Lusher and I forget the other city or town. It starts with a G. Um, but anyway, so the bonfires on the levee are these massive 
sort of triangle like pyramid structures of uh, of logs. So they're supposed to look like Christmas trees a little, but they're massive. They're like two stories high. Um, and all these people, all these families spend days building these massive structures. Some of them make them very sculptural. There's the guy, there's a whole team of people who make them like a snapping turtle or uh, I forgot what they were one year, but a crab. They had one that was a crab. And they then set them on fire. And then everybody hangs out around these bonfires and all the houses along the street that run parallel to the river levee have parties. And you can just kind of walk around and drink and like check out bonfires. Um, it's very family friendly, but it's also like a great place to just go as adults and drink and hang out and around bonfires and just say hi to people. Um, I dipped, I've dipped in and out. I've been known to dip in and out of some house parties that I wasn't invited to, but <laughs> <laughs> you know, you just throw an extra tin in the bucket to pay for, uh, you know, uncle so-and-so who's, who's dishing out the liquor. Um, but yeah, it's very, it's, it, that's a really cool tradition that a lot of people, everybody in New Orleans should at least do once. And if you happen to be lucky enough to be visiting New Orleans during Christmas, Revion, get your Revion meal one night, and then the next night, rent a car. Uh, I know there's big bus tours, but I can't imagine those are any fun. Um, but yeah, rent a car, have a designated driver, and get out there and check out these uh, bonfires. They light them as soon as the sun goes down. Um, and it's a big, it's super, it's, it's very cool. It's, just, it's basically meant to light the way for Papa Noel to find his way into New Orleans or into South Louisiana to uh, deliver his presents. Okay, crashing house parties. Michelle is definitely a person after my own heart. I've got links to Michelle's Bon Moment tours, as well as links to all my guests in the show notes at radiomisfits.com slash DED264. And if you enjoy the podcast, be sure to rate and review us on your podcast platform. And thank you so very much. Next week, it's a brand new show as we celebrate New Year's in Florence, in Japan, in New Zealand, and in Malaysia. So don't miss that. Destination Eat Drink is distributed by the Radio Misfits Podcast Network and Ed Silla, a guy whose bonfire lighter fluid is really Jameson. Thanks, Ed. I'm Brent Peterson. I'll see you down the road. Join us next week for another culinary adventure on Destination Eat Drink a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network.